You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha, church family. So thankful to uh, have you guys joining us here this morning. If you're new and this is the first time uh, here, we're just super thankful that you would spend your Sunday morning with us. And we're just grateful that despite us not being able to physically meet, uh, we can still do this digitally. And uh, obviously, you know this, I say it all the time, but I hear it from you guys. I miss you. We miss you. Uh, we miss each other. Um, but anyway, in the meantime, while we can't meet, here we are. 10 a.m. every Sunday here digitally through these mediums. And uh, man, you know, um, I'm so grateful and thankful for modern technology that allows us to do this. I always just think of this kind of sort of thing happened uh, not too, too long ago, that it'd be a very different story that um, as much as Zoom and FaceTime and text messages and live streaming and whatnot isn't ideal. It is a means to stay connected and it's doing a remarkably good job despite us not being able to physically meet in light of these circumstances. Uh, But uh, until things change, uh, which we'll update you as we know any updates, uh, this is where we'll be on a large scale, where the most of us will be at one time. And so even though it may feel way different and weird, I want to encourage you to like use... Uh, the comment on either like Facebook or YouTube right there to say hello to each other this morning and just let each other know who's there and at least uh, dialogue a little bit. Uh, So feel free to go ahead and do that. But if you're just wondering more about uh, our church or what's happening, uh, if you're feeling not connected or just want to get more connected, more involved, uh, whether that's Ohana groups or our weekly prayer meeting or even just figure out uh, needs in our church or ways that you can serve in the community, uh, you can go to realityhonolulu.com. That is the best place. Kind of we're trying to keep everything there. Obviously still have all our social media, but just uh, trying to keep our website, The Hub, and hopefully updated uh, so that you feel like very much connected and uh, know how to um, be a part of the church in this season. Uh, That said, like we do each week, we're going to dig into God's word this morning. And uh, we believe that his word is living and active and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through it. And uh, we're picking up right where we left off in the book of Acts. And so I'd love for you to grab your Bible with me and to turn to Acts chapter 5 this morning. Acts 5 verses 1 through 11 is where we'll be. And uh, before we read it, fair warning. This is a pretty like abrupt and possibly disturbing text. Uh, It's one of those that you maybe wish we were just going to skip over. But again, that's the beauty of studying the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, kind of just straight through that you don't skip over stuff like this. And you can't avoid things like this, but you actually have to tackle and figure out texts like this and their purpose and their value. Um, So again, we're going to read it, but then we'll unpack it and uh, hopefully give some helpful understanding and application to it. Um, but I don't want it to like scare you away or go, whoa, 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 what is going on here? So stick around and let's and, and uh, read it with us and then we'll, we'll dig in. So here we go. Acts 5, 1 through 11 says this. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. 
With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Then Ananias heard this, he fell down, and he died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the men, the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay, what a doozy. Here we go. Okay, so if you, if you don't know, for context sake, we've added these chapter headings and verse numbers uh, for ease of reading and for reference, but what we're reading in Acts here is a historic narrative of the early church's actions in the world narrated by Luke. And so chapter 5 is a continuation of chapter 4, which is a continuation of chapter 3, and so on, right? We've just put in these breaks for reference, but sometimes it messes with our kind of our understanding, thinking chapter 5 is isolated from chapter 4, but it's not. It's a continuation. And at the end of chapter 4, like what we, what we got last week, specifically in verses 32 through 37, if you were with us, if you missed it, you can go on the website and check it out. But what we studied there, and what, what we also studied in depth in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, is this beautiful window into the formation of the first group of followers of Jesus and their practices and their methods and their disciplines and really what the church looked like. And what we call them is the early church, but really it's the first church. And what we've gotten to see is, is what makes up the church, how they act, how they react, and so on. How, and, and in turn, how we're supposed to act. And if there's something that is blatantly obvious, that if you read this, if you've been with us, and is supernaturally wonderful, is how unified this group of people is. Over and over, we hear that um, they're caring for one another. They're sacrificing for, for others in need. And they're described of being as one mind and one accord. Like very different people. They're not all the same type of person by any means. Very different in different backgrounds. But they're unified. They're of one mind and one accord. And even last week, the two main points we, we studied and kind of drilled down was the fact that this group of spirit-filled men and women were unified in mission and unified in care. That despite the persecution, the restrictions they were having of being Christians and speaking of who Jesus was, they were solidified and unified to still see God's kingdom come. They weren't going to stop 
from speaking about Jesus just because, just because someone told them not to. And also, we see this beautiful picture where they were unified to care for one another so that no one had need among them. And even last week, we see Luke, our narrator here, right, the author of this account in Acts, he gives us specific examples of the church selling their possessions, specifically land that they owned, and they took the money from that land and they, and they, that they received for the sale. They brought it to the apostles, uh, the kind of the leaders of the church, and they, the leaders of the church, the apostles, then dispersed it to those in need uh, so that none of them were in need, that there's no need among them. And again, all of this, basically, and, and especially this season, has been such a gift to us. And I hope that you've been with us and seen that, and I hope it's been a blessing to you to have some, some structure, some instruction. Uh, we called it the, uh, the blueprints of the church, literally the plans that we're to look to to model ourselves after as the church. And as a continuation of the people of God here in Hawaii in 2020 at Reality, um, this is how we're supposed to be the church. Like in the midst of this pandemic, this is how we're supposed to operate. And I'm praying that we continue to live into this radically generous and sacrificial loving picture of what we are to be as the church. But what we see here in Acts chapter 5 that we just re read is actually, you know, right in the midst of this beautiful picture. Everybody's selling things, giving to those in need. I mean, no one's ever seen such radical generosity ever. And what happens here in Acts chapter 5 is a disruption to this unified people. What we see here is specifically with Ananias and Sapphira is that their sin in turn endangers the unity of this people as a whole. Okay, so let's dig in. This is what happens. So like other people that we just read in Acts chapter 4, Ananias and Sapphira, they have land, they sell it. Uh, supposedly to bring that to the church so that they can contribute just like everyone else had been doing. But here's where things go south. They bring the money and they say that this is all of it. I got this much for the land and I'm giving you this much. Uh, this is all of it. But the thing is, it wasn't. See, they lied. They secretly kept a portion for themselves and they tried to look righteous, like completely righteous. We gave everything, look at us. But in, in reality, they were keeping some for themselves and they were lying about it. Right? They kept back for themselves what they had told God and they told the others was theirs corporately. Then it comes out that Ananias' wife, Sapphira, also knew about it. Like, it wasn't just uh, in the moment. This was a planned out, like premeditated, like thing that, hey, we're going we're gonna to try to look this way. We're going to say one thing and do another thing. And it reveals that this thing had been planned out. They, they came up with this evil plan to lie to God's people and uh, to God himself. And what we see here is really a stark example of hypocrisy. 
um, to pretend to be one thing uh, with their words. This is us. Look at us. This is what we did. But then prove to be something very different with their actions, right? So then, you know, when they do this, like in an instant, they sin, they rebel. Uh, this is a breach of honesty and, a, and unity to God and the rest of the church. Like instantly, pretty gnarly, but they die. There's like instant judgment. And if you're like me at all, if you have a heart maybe, uh, you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Like this isn't right. Like where's the grace? Where's the mercy? This is like way too harsh. Yeah, they messed up. Yeah, they did something wrong. But I mean, come on, like, and, and even so far to say that you, you might think, well, this story almost seems like it's out of place or not in line with uh, the story I've been reading or even in line with the heart of God and the character of God. And I assure you, it's not. It's not, um, it's not out of line. It's not uh, misplaced. And even though I'm sure there's more details to the story that we don't know, there's purpose and there's a plan for it. And there's th great things that we can get from it. And here's what we can know and maybe give some insight to understand and process what's happening here in uh, these 11 verses in Acts chapter 5. What we have to know is that God is holy. Right? God doesn't take sin lightly. We see that here very vividly. But we need to remember that God is righteous and God deals with sin accordingly. And also, like in that same vein that sin is serious and there's devastating and deadly consequences to sin to a righteous and holy God. In the same vein... We have to all also remember that the church, us and the universal church, God's people, he calls us the bride of Christ. And God loves his church dearly and he is very protective over it as a, a husband would be to his bride. And it's important to me this to say that in my opinion, what's happening here in this portion of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira and this instant judgment upon their sin, in my opinion, this isn't prescriptive. Meaning, if you lie in this way, you die immediately. Uh, rather, I think it's descriptive and there's lessons and truths to learn from it, but it's not prescriptive. So, so I don't think, like, if you lie, then you die. Right? If you steal, then you fall over dead. That doesn't always happen. I hope you know that that's obvious. It's not, it's not uh, prescriptive here, per sense, but it's a descriptive of something that happened, but there's lessons and there's truths that we can pull from it that are true. But in this case, we see the details of sin. The, the, the sin that's done against the unity of God's church against God's beautiful, wonderful, precious, unified church. And in this case, this sin that's disrupting and endangering this unity by this lying and stealing and hypocrisy, it causes immediate judgment to come upon these two that have lied and stolen from the people of God. Uh, as much, again, as I don't think this is prescriptive, like an if-then, 
of God's character, I do think it illuminates and is meant to teach us a few important things. First is that, uh, well, kind of in context sake, Luke didn't have to include this. He's the writer of the story. This is, a, uh, you could say, a black mark on the church. Like, this is not the news the church needs, especially in its inception, when it hasn't been around for long, and there's supposed to be these amazing people that are, um, you know, representing this holy and perfect God. This is not the type of news the church needs to hear or to draw attention when writing its history. But I think it's important that it's in there, and I think it, it shows a few things. I think a few lessons from this that we can take away is this. Number one, if you have notes, write this down. Number one is God is serious about sin and its destructive nature. Like God is serious about sin and what it does to humanity, that it has destructive and deadly consequences. And because God is serious about sin, we should be serious too. So many of us, the church, Christians, the world, can, can justify sin. We can, we can think lightly of it. We can treat it lightly. But I believe what this story shows, in light of a lot of other stories in Scripture, is that we should know the destructive nature of sin. It's deadly it's not to be messed around with or played with or toyed with or taunted with. Like sin equals death. Like it's deadly. It's destructive. Um, but also in, in that same vein, we have to know that sin is, it doesn't just stay in a bubble. Like it doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us regardless if you think so or not. Like Ananias and Sapphira, like their sin was hurting the entire community. And the same goes for us too when we sin as much as we think, oh, it's secret. It's just me. No one's getting hurt. Because we're supposed to be doing our life in community, when we sin, when we go outside of God's design, it affects others. And um, again, we can easily get this. When we sin, it affects uh, our family and friends and our community and uh, sometimes more than others. But we see that here God is serious about sin, and we should be serious about it too. Number two, again, Luke keeps this in, I believe, to show this point. Number two, the church is flawed. It's full of imperfect people who sin. Like the goal is not to be like, oh, nope, we can't ever be wrong. We can't ever sin. It's like we are going to, yes, we're going to strive to be like Jesus. We're going to want to become more like him. But we have to be honest and we have to say we're sinners saved by grace. We're in this work of sanctification, but we will fail and fall and mess up. And the church is flawed. And to even go, f to, to even take that a little further, we need to also you know, be, be mindful that the church's faults shouldn't be hidden, but rather shared, confessed, and learned from so that there can, can be healing and restoration and transparency and vulnerability. Um, this should be something that we as a church should be aware of that, hey, we're flawed and when we mess up, we need to be honest about it and vulnerable and um, we need to um, not, not cover up things, so to speak, but we need to be honest where we've sinned or fallen and, um, 
And this is what Luke is doing here. He's sharing a bit of like the church's dirty laundry. Number three is God is serious about the unity of his church. Like God is serious about his church being of one mind and one accord. And his utmost desire is that despite our differences, despite our faults and our failures, that we should all live and strive to be in unity as we follow Christ. Again, there is so many more intricacies to this text that we could tackle. There's stuff that we could dig into. But for the sake of time and application, I'd actually like to drill down and talk about point number three and about what what it could look like for us in relation to preserving unity and also to talk about how we might protect against our unity becoming endangered like it did in Acts chapter uh, uh, five. So point three is kind of what I want to like make some application for us personally here. And again, we brushed over this last week. Um, and I kind of keep referring to previous sermons that, and, and church services. Uh, I really encourage you to go back if you haven't, just because we're in the story and the narrative of Acts. It'll help you to catch up. But we brushed on this last week. And as you know, if you don't, then here's a newsflash. There is many different flavors of Christians. Uh, we may all hold to orthodox beliefs, but... We have all have our slants and our opinions and um, our take on things and, and what we're more passionate or more feel strongly uh, about than others. And I want to speak into something specifically right now in our present place in this history of the world um, that relates to this. And it's this, that inside each local expression of the church, Reality Honolulu would be a local expression of God's church and other churches would be other local expressions of his universal church. But inside each local expression of God's church, despite our different opinions, we need to strive to have unity, specifically now in history, as the timing, the way, the timing and the way in which and the structure in which we go back to meeting as a church. So again, if you're listening to this later on in life, this might not be super applicable, but right now here in May in Hawaii in the world during this pandemic when we're not meeting physically, despite our different opinions, we need to strive for unity as we are able to start meeting again. We need to strive for unity when it comes to the timing, the way in which, and the structure in which we go back to meeting. And again, I think my heart here is just to like expose the elephant in the room and the tension that maybe every church leadership is going through right now. Again, if you're not in church leadership, this might, you might not know this. I want to illuminate some things to you. But just to speak for my fellow pastors and elders in church leadership, um, transitioning to digital church hasn't been easy. Unless like you totally already did that, this isn't easy. Um, but what we all anticipate, as I talk to other pastors kind of from all over, is that we anticipate potentially going back to physically meaning being harder and more complicated than this whole digital church thing has been. 
And that's because this. There's nowhere that I know of, right, in the world that like cold turkey, they're going to go back to meeting in the same old way before. Right, for us, that would be like hundreds of people in the same place. We're kissing each other. Our kids are wiping their boogers on each other. We're eating potlucks. We're sharing meals. Like, like nobody's business. Right? That doesn't mean that we'll be back there one day. Right? That's what we're hoping and striving for and praying towards. But unless I'm way off, in uh, <clears throat> what it seems like, it seems like things are going, is that we'll go back meeting gradually over time, um, maybe in small, super small house things, and maybe transitioning to do larger and larger gatherings. But again, who can know? Obviously, nobody but the Lord. Um, but this is just an idea. And the reason why I'm spending the time right here on Sunday morning, like during the sermon, talking about this, is that I believe that for churches around the world, like including us, is that if we aren't careful, that this can actually be a source of division and strife rather than an opportunity for unity. And I just want to like call this out that the flesh and the devil doesn't want to keep churches together right now. Like the the flesh and the devil doesn't want to keep our church together. Doesn't want to keep every church in Hawaii together. Doesn't want to. The devil is looking for an opportunity to, to tear the church apart. It happened in Acts. The enemies like MO hasn't changed. Like tried to do it then. We'll try to do it now. Right, the enemy is looking for opportunities to divide us, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. But what does God want? What does God want as we kind of try to navigate the world right now and us going back to, to meeting physically? God wants beautiful things to happen. And I believe that God wants grace and mercy and humility and understanding and respect and forgiveness to be rampant in the church right now. But again, just know and be aware, the devil, he wants bitterness and ill thoughts and gossip, etc. to run wild. Church, I'm calling us to be on guard, be alert. Don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes that wants to rob us right now and sow seeds of divisiveness. Like reality, Honolulu, Ohana. I'm calling us to unity. And what unity looks like is this. And again, I'm not even saying that there's disunity right now, but I feel led by the Holy Spirit like to call it out before it happens. I just feel like there's a potential for it. Just the way the world looks. This is, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying like it is right now. I'm saying be, don't be ignorant, don't be unaware that this is potentially an opportunity for divisiveness, but also it's an opportunity for unity. So this is what unity could look like. Are you with me? If you said yes, I wouldn't know, but I hope you are. It's knowing that all of us are going to not love or like or totally like everything uh, that goes on and how we regather physically. 
right? Some of us um, are not going to be stoked that we're going slow and not opening right away. And then some of us are going to feel like, wow, too fast, too many, like we can't meet and we're super bummed out on that. Again, uh, just to speak into that, we'll most likely be on the slow, cautious side. Um, but you get my point. We all won't be stoked in one way or another, uh, most likely. But please know that I've been, you know, been and will continue to talk with uh, the Reality Honolulu Board of Trustees, uh, other pastors, our staff, Ohana group leaders on like what the best way to go forward is. But here's the salient point. We are really trying to strike a balance of this, like what's legal and allowed compared to what's safe and loving, and obviously trying to be obedient to God accordingly. Um, again, all of those things have nuances and interpretations, but we really are trying to take a balance of like, what, what's best, Lord? What are we allowed to do? What's safe? What's loving? What's being a good neighbor? How do we do this all in obedience to you? It's not just clear cut and easy. But again, if there's anything that we can learn from Acts 5 and apply it here and now to us, is that the flesh and the devil want to rip up this beautiful thing called church. And guys, I'm going to be so biased because I'm a pastor at this church. Um, I think Reality Honolulu and our community is an absolutely beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. And um, like, I love it. And, I, and if there's anything we can learn from Acts 5 is that like when the church was like looking wonderful and awesome, and it was this beautiful community um, that, that the flesh and the devil, they, they want us to come in and kind of rip this whole thing apart. And I think, again, this is something that I could bring up many times over the course of the, who knows, next few weeks and months and, and as time goes on. But church, let's be a family. Let's think the best of each other. Let's love and honor each other despite our differences. Um, and I just want you guys to know like, that myself, the staff, um, our Ohana group leaders are accessible. Like if you're feeling like unsettled or you have questions or you need clarification on kind of like going forward what we're going to do, um, please reach out. Like I want to let you know like we're approachable. Um, and we're not offended uh, if you dislike something we're doing or think bad. Like, I'm in this with you and I, I want to do the hard work and ha I'm happy to dialogue and discuss. Again, I'm not saying we have a plan. I'm just saying as we do this together, let's love and extend grace and honor each other and remember to stay unified. And in the depth of my being, I believe God wants to make us better and stronger and more unified than before. Not less unified, but more. But church, uh, kind of as we end here, I, I want to read us a passage from the Apostle Paul and allow it to wash over us and it to be a picture of how we might live in unity as we go forward in this kind of unknown uh, season. It's from Ephesians chapter 2 as Paul addresses 
um, these very different groups of people in the church in Ephesus. Um, primarily, they're very different ethnically, Jews and Gentiles, but what comes along with that is different traditions and different opinions and different slants on different subjects. And this is how Paul exhorts them to live, and I believe so applicable for us as well. This is what Paul says, Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18. It says this, You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Such a beautiful picture. And if there's one practice that has always unified the church, it's remembering Christ and his finished work upon the cross. Right, that's what Paul does. He pushes people's attention towards Jesus. Jesus' work upon the cross, his death and his resurrection, is the very thing that unifies us despite our differences. We're all different, but we're all unified because of Christ. It's because of the very work that Paul speaks of here that unifies us despite our vast differences. And we do this by taking communion. Like we remember Christ from the inception of the church. What we do every week is we take communion and communion is a symbolic practice to remember Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was spilt. And so hopefully you kind of gotten into a rhythm now, but hopefully you either have elements with you or maybe something in the house that can be used as communion elements. Traditionally, it was bread and wine. Um, I've got a little juice and a little bread here. Um, I'd love for you to grab those with me. And we're going to go into a time of worship now, as we always do, to worship God for who He is and what He's done. In an act of remembrance, but also in an act to stay unified. Uh, I'd like you to take these, um, to take the bread or whatever you have like bread, and take the juice or whatever you have like juice, and to take these, to drink the cup and to, to eat the bread, to remember who God is, and it's because of Him that we are and can be of one mind and one accord despite our differences. Amen, church? Um, let's enter into this time of worship now. Please stick around for a closing prayer and some additional words, um, but let's pray and ask God to fill our homes with His presence right now. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that despite our failures and our faults, despite our differences, despite uh, how maybe non-unified we may look, thank you that your love, 
your grace, your mercy, your work on the cross supersedes all of that. And you can unify even a people that is very different on paper. And we pray that for our local expression of your church. Reality Honolulu. God, guard us from the schemes of the enemy that wants to divide us or sow division. And God, we just pray for unity over our thoughts and our minds and our actions. Um, God, thank you that you know how this is going to go. We just pray that we trust you and um, just do it together in unison, despite what that may look like over the coming weeks and months, uh, over this year, that as we kind of gather again in different ways, we just pray that you would be put on full display and you'd be exalted. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.